Matthew chapter 21, where we'll be You guys know what Palm Sunday is? Yes. I remember. Elena doesn't. Yes. This is good. I remember. In, no, that's good. Because I remember when I was in Sunday school, Palm Sunday, we'd always color in these like little color books, palm trees and Jesus on a donkey and all these clothes on the ground. And you're like, this is so weird. It's cool. <laughs> like, you didn't even get it. You're just like, this is out of the ordinary, so I like it, and it sticks in your head. And that's, like, all you walk away with was, Jesus was a cool guy. <laughs> and then you get older, and you begin to ask important questions, like, why a donkey? What the heck? What does this mean? Why did he have the temple tantrum, as some people call it? Um, why do these things happen? So that's some of the important things we're going to look at. Uh, before we get into this, one thing I want you guys to know is this. Jesus spoke just as much with his actions as he did with his words. And a good, uh, good Friday, uh, Palm Sunday is more about his actions than about his words. So we're going to interpret what he's saying through what he's doing. Okay, so Matthew 21 verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now Matthew says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, Humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him... And that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna means save us. It's a Hebrew word. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And... Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. God, I pray for your spirit to instruct us, Palm Sunday, that we see clearly why you came and what you're doing here. And Jesus, we look to this because we want to be imitators. We want to be messengers of your gospel. So open our eyes to see the blessing of Palm Sunday. And disband from our midst the den of robbers seeking to suck blessing out of the face of the earth. 
may we be on your side and promote your purposes in this world. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, when Jesus, this is Palm Sunday, it's 80-30. Long time ago. Almost 2,000 years ago. It's mid-April. Nice, sunny, warm day. And Jesus is coming towards Jerusalem from his home area, Galilee. And he's making his way to Jerusalem to celebrate a certain feast that all Jews celebrated. The Feast of Passover. And Jerusalem was the hot spot because of the temple. And all the Jews would come to this city on this day to celebrate this feast. And a celebration it was. Because this was the feast where they looked backward and said, God saved us from the tyrant Pharaoh and delivered us from the Egyptians. This is our birth in a sense. This is when we were freed and became God's people. And he became king over us. And they come together, Jerusalem, once a year. Feast of Passover, to celebrate that event. And a celebration it was. So Jerusalem was about doubled, maybe even more in size at this time. So the city is packed, jammed with people. Think New York City at rush hour all the time. That's Jerusalem right now. That is, it's just for a whole week, the people are packing in. And so Jesus is on his way to celebrate the feast. And as he's going there, of course, with a large group of people, because you don't travel alone those days, because there's lions and tigers and bears and thieves and bandits and robbers. So you're going with a bunch of people for security. And of course, Jesus has all these followers who have seen him do some marvelous things. He's saying off the wall things, and he's doing off the wall things. And they're all attracted to him. They're following him. And they have these questions in their minds and these hopes and these yearnings. And as they're going to Jerusalem with this this leader figure, they're thinking, Passover is when God saved us. Maybe he'll do it again. It's not Egypt this time. It's Rome this time. And so they follow Jesus, this throng, and they're coming towards Jerusalem. And as they see the city just off in the distance, everybody gets excited. And they begin to take off their clothes and to put it on the ground. And Jesus commands a donkey and he sits on it. And he starts to ride the donkey and everyone's laying clothes down. And they're waving palm branches as he's going. And they're singing songs of celebration and Hosanna in the highest and save us. And all of these songs and triumphant bursts of joy. What is going on? And he rides in. What Jesus is announcing as he's riding this donkey into Jerusalem... He is announcing this. I am the king who has come not to oppress people, but to bless people. How the heck is he saying that? He's writing in saying, I am the king who has come not to oppress people, but to bless people. How the heck is he saying that? He's saying this message through his actions... Two actions we're going to look at here. First action. He's riding a donkey into Jerusalem. This action is saying, I am king, come not to oppress. Action number two is in the temple as he's driving people out and saying things about how they got it all wrong. That action says, I am king who has come to bless. So donkey, I haven't come to oppress. Temple, I have come to bless. So this is what Palm Sunday is about. Jesus is announcing on this day, I am that king, but I haven't come to oppress people. I've come to bless people. So what are the people going to see? What are, that's what Jesus is saying, but what are the people seeing? 
Why you guys? Okay, we look at this, right? And we go, oh yeah, we know the story, you know. Five days from now, the people are going to be shouting angrily, crucify that imbecile. You know, like things didn't go out as we expected, so get, change the whole thing. And we know how it goes. He gets crucified, he suffers, but then he raises from the dead, he ascends to the right hand of God, he's king, it's like, oh, yay, everything's good. And so we know that we call this the triumphal entry, because, of course, everything works out for the good. Jesus planned this, this is how it's all supposed to go down. But what are the people seeing? In live action, what are the disciples thinking? What are the crowds in Jerusalem as they gather around the walls to see this interesting procession coming in? What's going through their minds? It's a good question. And I think when we begin to see what they are thinking, we will then understand what Jesus is announcing. Let's not put our American 21st century Christianity and say, boom, that's what he's doing. (laughs) Let's look at the people's thinking. What are they seeing? And in light of that, what is Jesus doing? So I want to suggest to you guys three possible pictures that people are thinking as they watch Jesus on this donkey coming into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna and palm branches being waved. Three possible pictures that they're thinking. The first is... (coughs) The first is that Jesus is a military king. Notice what they're shouting. You see that in verse 6 and 7 and on, uh, verse 9 especially. It says that they're shouting Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What does that mean? That's exactly what I thought in Sunday school. Like, Hosanna, cool. It's like, you know, another thing. Like, weird word, sticks in my mind. <laughs> what that means, of course, as I said earlier, is it's deliver us, save us, bring salvation. And the phrase is coming out of Psalm 118. And it's in that same psalm, a song that was sung, that they're shouting Hosanna and they're shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can read this tonight uh, before you go to bed, Psalm 118. So this is what they're singing. They're singing the chorus, the best part of a song from the Psalms as he's coming in. Why are they singing that song? What does that song mean? What is that song about? Well, if you look at Psalm 118, you have this interesting scenario unfolding. The psalmist is talking about how enemies are surrounding him and they're cutting him off and he's praying to Yahweh. And then all of a sudden he's thanking Yahweh for his faithfulness. What happened? He begins to say, you have delivered me from my enemies. You have cut them off. And then he starts to say, open the gates of Jerusalem and let me in so that I may give thanksgiving to God. And it talks about offering sacrifices. And and then it starts to say, Deliver us, that's Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So so what's the scene? You have this king, the king of Israel, who's surrounded by enemies and threats, and he's worried about the kingdom. And he goes out in military might, and Yahweh saves him from the enemies. They win. That's the salvation he's talking about. They were saved from their enemies. And then he, as he's coming back from victory and war, open up the gates, let me in. I'm going to offer Yahweh a thanksgiving sacrifice for our victory. And as he's coming in to offer the sacrifices, that's where the chorus starts. Hosanna, save us. A blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing that to the king who's entering in to thank Yahweh for the victory. They're saying, blessed is he, the king, who comes in the name of Yahweh. He is our savior. He saved us from our enemies. So this is the song they're singing as Jesus is riding in. What does it sound like the crowds are looking at him as? A military king. 
And perhaps they're singing this psalm because they want Jesus to lead them into military victory. Our enemies surround us. Pontius Pilate sitting on his throne right there with a whole garrison of Roman soldiers. Our, our kingdom is pathetic. We have a high priest who's only a puppet. We don't have a Davidic king anymore. And Herod is just a joke. He executes prophets like John the Baptist. This is the condition. Military king to save us. Maybe that's what they're seeing. Or maybe they're seeing a revolutionary hero. As they're waving palm branches while they sing this song. What image is this invoking? A guy who lived about 200 years before Jesus named Judas the Hammer Maccabee. We'll just call him the Hammer. Because they nicknamed him, that's what Maccabee means, is the hammer. They nicknamed him the hammer because of his great offensive and military might against the Syrian army. Now, right now, as Jesus is writing in, Rome controls the world, and especially they're sitting there in Jerusalem, and the Jews don't like this because they're pagans, they're Gentiles. We're supposed to rule. God told our king that the ends of the earth are ours, and look at us now. We're pathetically paying tribute to Caesar. And Pontius Pilate sitting here next to the temple with his pagans. They don't like this. But when Judas Maccabee the Hammer was around 200 years before, it was a different empire. It wasn't the Romans, it was the Syrians. And the Syrians were possibly worse. The Syrians were ruled by this guy named Antiochus. And Antiochus was brutal. To make a long story short, he rides into Jerusalem and persecutes the Jews ruthlessly. He outlaws the worship of Yahweh. So they take all the scrolls of the Torah and they burn them in the streets. They outlaw circumcision and anyone who circumcised their kids die. And also they would hunt, they would kill a baby that was circumcised and hang them on the necks of mothers. And then they would, uh, he was killing people everywhere and persecuting them. And then he went into the temple, Yahweh's temple, and he declares, I am the revelation of Zeus, and we are going to offer a pig, which Jews don't like, on Yahweh's altar in honor of Zeus. And the Jews went ballistic. And chaos ensued, and people were killed and slaughtered, and Antiochus went crazy. And it was at this moment that Judas, our hero, the hammer, read, uh, led a group of military people, a militia, into the hills to train. And they came down to Jerusalem, and they pounded upon Antiochus for three years, and eventually they won. They regained Jerusalem, and they regained the temple and when, and when the hammer, Judas, goes into the temple, he cleanses out the paganism and he dedicates it back to Yahweh, whom it belongs to. And the Jews are happy again. We are free. Revolution worked. We're independent from the Syrians. And in celebration of what the hammer did, guess what they waved around the temple? Palm branches. You can read that in 2 Maccabees 10 verse 7. That they waved palm branches in the temple to celebrate this wonderful victory that God gave them. So perhaps, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the people are waving palm branches, their idea is, this is our new hammer. This is our new revolutionary hero who's going to free us from Rome this time. So people are getting this like revolutionary fervor. Maybe, perhaps. But maybe there's a third image. Maybe what they are seeing is Jesus writing in as a rival to Rome. 
about the same time that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he's coming in from the east. Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor over Jerusalem in this area, he's riding into Jerusalem from the west. Jesus has a bunch of peasants from Galilee hailing him as, with singing songs. Pontius Pilate is coming in with an army from Rome. And so you see these two pictures. They're both coming into Jerusalem and there's going to be a clash. And we see what happens at the cross. And what are the Jews seeing there? Why is Pontius Pilate coming in with the Roman army anyways? Well, what would you do if you were... If, if Caesar gave you a mission... And the number one mission was keep peace in Jerusalem at all costs. What are you going to do? It's Passover. They're remembering how great God can deliver them from pagan rulers. Hmm. They really want to overthrow Rome. They want to be free. Hmm. Uh, Jerusalem has more than doubled in size right now. And they're all having this fervor of revolution because they're remembering the exodus. What is Pontius Pilate going to do? He's moving into Jerusalem this week to keep things tight. Nobody is starting a revolution this week. So he comes in with the Roman army. And you can see the kids watching in amazement. You can see the peasants watching with disdain. And you can see the rulers looking at it like, oh, we've got to put up with them. As the soldiers come in with, with you know, the spear tips glistening in the sun and the eagles on the banners. And, and Pontius Pilate at the front on his white horse. And the soldiers marching with the clanking of armor and the, the leather sandals squeaking as they come up. And it's just a silent, ominous show of power. And it's essentially what Pontius Pilate is doing. He's saying, if you dare come against Rome this week, this is what you have to put up with. We will squash it. We will crush it. You don't stand a chance. So he's marching in, keeping things tight, keeping things calm. And Jesus, not swords, but palm branches. Not a white horse, but a donkey. (laughs) Not an army of soldiers well-trained, but peasants from Galilee. And other fervor zealots from Jerusalem. What are the people seeing? A rival to Rome? Yes, in a sense. Not a rival who's going to take Pontius Pilate down. But a rival who's going to be a different sort of king than Pontius Pilate and Caesar have been. A different sort of ruler than what people are used to. Yes, he's a rival. But not in an arm wrestling match. He's a rival in the fact that I am a king, like all of you are thinking. You're singing Hosanna to me like a military king. You're shouting yay with palm branches as if I am Judas Maccabee the hammer who's going to rule over you and give you independence. I'm coming in much like Pontius Pilate, much like a king. But I'm coming in in a different sort of way. A way that you're not expecting. So how does Matthew show that he's coming in? Verse 5 shows us... um, Right before verse 5, he, he gets on a donkey. Go get a donkey for me. He gets on it. And in Matthew 21.5, he tells us why the donkey. He's quoting Zechariah chapter 9. Now, as good Bible students, what you have to understand is Matthew is not giving you the answer by quoting that one verse. He's referring to a larger passage And when you read Zechariah 9, you get to verse 9 and you see this passage. Your king is coming on a donkey. Cool. He's on a donkey. This is our king. Everyone's getting excited, right? 
This is what they're seeing. But read further. Zechariah 9 verse 10 then talks about, But God will cut off the war chariot from Ephraim. He will take away the swords from Jerusalem. He will speak peace to the nations. The donkey then is a symbol for peace, not for a military hero, a revolutionary hero, or a powerful man like Pontius Pilate. The donkey is the opposite. So here's Pontius Pilate and the other memories the Jews are having coming to Jerusalem. And here's Jesus on a donkey. I'm a different sort of king. Not the thing you were expecting. So there he comes. And what he does is he then comes to the temple. And so what we just saw is riding on a donkey. What does that say? I am a king who has come not to oppress people. The hammer oppressed the Syrians. He beat them up. Pontius Pilate is threatening to oppress us if we come against them. I'm not coming to oppress people. I'm coming on a donkey as a different kind of king that you've never seen before. And then the second action happens in the temple. And this is where he says, well, he did come. I haven't come to oppress people. This is the different kind of king I am. I'm the kind of king whose reign seeks to bless people. And so he models this in the temple. As people are seeing this procession, they're going, what do we make of this? Like, what images are we to see in this? The, the donkey, but then like all these other things they're thinking about. And, and he goes into the temple to say, this is what you should expect from me. I am here to bless. I am here to help. Not to oppress and to curse. So how, so how does he show this? Let's look at the temple. So he goes in the temple, as you guys know. He drives people out. He seems angry. And he says, you've messed it all up. <laughs> This is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it the opposite. It's a den of thieves. Okay, so what does all this mean? Briefly, why did Israel have a temple? What was the mission? What was the purpose of this building in the first place? Shortly, the temple was given to Israel to be a blessing to the nations. We've looked in the past, right, at Eden that that was the very first temple on earth. And Eden was the place of blessing for humanity. They lived with God. They were doing the work of God in the temple, in Eden. But we were exiled from that because of our rebellion. And as a result, God calls Israel to bless the cursed earth through Abraham. And they set up a tabernacle, which is a miniature garden of Eden. It has a lot of the same things going on. God is walking with man in the tabernacle. And... Tabernacle sort of fails. They worship a golden calf. They get to the promised land. They borrow idolatry from all the nations. um, And they have to have heroes come and deliver them all the time. Then Solomon builds a temple. And this is it. This is it. Solomon prays, God, let foreigners and Gentiles come to this temple and be restored to you. Let it bless the nations. And the foreigners come. Uh, The narrative tells us mostly it focuses on the foreigners that come to Solomon through women. Thousands of wives, a thousand wives, many of them foreign. And what did Solomon do? He doesn't bring these foreigners to the temple like he prayed. He builds a temple for them. Oh, you worship Baal. You worship uh, Ra. You worship Asis and all the other Ashtoreth and all the other gods. Marduk builds temples for them. That temple fails too. It doesn't bring blessing to the world. The blessing of God living with man has not come. 
And then you flash forward to Jesus, and they once again have a temple. And he looks at this thing, and he says, This structure, this system, the people who run this place are not blessing anybody. Not at all. And he tells us this through two things. Verse verse 13, he says to them, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's first. And then second. But you have made it a den of robbers. These are two Old Testament phrases. And this is what he's saying to them. Mission of temple failed. It is not blessing people. It is definitely not blessing the nations. Fail. So, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what it's coming from. Isaiah 56 is a chapter that talks about the Gentiles coming to God. Coming to the temple. And it goes on and it talks about people that are usually despised. The eunuch, the foreigner, people that the Jews weren't letting into the temple. And it says, they will all come to my altar. They will all meet with me. And then it says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7. Jesus is quoting this and he's saying, and he's looking around and he's saying, you're not getting it. Look, look outside the temple. There's a wall right outside the temple. You know what that wall said on it? Any foreigner who passes this wall will be responsible for his own death. In other words, Gentiles are not welcome to this temple. But Isaiah 56 said that all people are to come to it. They're setting up barriers. Guess what else happened? And Jesus is looking around. And he says that there's money changers and people who sell pigeons and animals and things. At one time, that was done outside of Jerusalem in the Kidron Valley. But according to some sources, around the time of Jesus, this selling that was going on was moved into the temple courts. Which temple courts? The ones that were behind the wall that said, don't pass, Gentiles. You know know what that means? The Jews were replacing the only place Gentiles could come with animals. Tells you what they think about foreigners and Gentiles, right? Oh, you can share this with animals and pigeons and doves and lambs and rams. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is supposed to be a place of blessing, a house of prayer. But I'm seeing this wall. I'm seeing these animals replacing the court for Gentiles. And I'm seeing the opposite. And the second thing he says is you've made it a den of robbers. Comes, you guys heard in communion a few minutes ago. I did more detail than I'm going to go into right now. Uh, Jeremiah 7 is where he gets this phrase. What's Jeremiah 7 about? It's about the temple again. It's about Israel who found refuge in the temple. And in Jeremiah 7, this is what's ironic. They go to the temple to receive blessing and salvation from God. And then they go out to their neighbors and he says, You're murdering. You're oppressing. You're worshiping other gods. You're not helping the orphans or the widows or the poor. You're oppressing the weak. You're doing everything wrong. You go to the temple to find shelter from the things you should be doing outside the temple. It's a refuge from blessing the world. You go in to be blessed. You take what you want from God, which is fine. God never condemns us from taking anything from Him. You take it from God, but then you go out and you don't give it. You guys are robbers. 
I'm giving you blessing upon blessing so that you can go and bless the oppressed. You can go free the captive. You can go bring restoration to the exile. And you guys take the blessing, then you leave it all in the temple and go out and oppress people. And Jesus is saying, this is what you're doing, and this ought not to be. There's a nation... Uh, there's nations out there that you guys are not even letting into the temple. And you're soaking up the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant and of God and of salvation and of restoration of God. And you're coming to this feast to celebrate. And you guys enjoy all this here. And then you're totally different people out there. And you flip your finger off at the Romans and you hate all the Gentiles because they're threatening the temple system. And you can see how Jesus just gets angry. And he says, you guys are robbing the nations of the blessings that are coming from God's presence here. Just ripping them off. And to make his point clear, verse 14 happens. Once he's made his statement, he's cleansed the temple, he's driven these people out. Verse 14 says this, But the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. In other words, what the temple should have always been doing finally started happening. People were being healed. People were being blessed. And what is so powerful about this scene is that people aren't coming to the temple to be blessed at this point. They're coming to Jesus. He not only said that the mission failed, its mission to bless, but that it failed so poorly that he is going to remove that mission and replace it upon himself so that now in Jesus all people will be blessed it's no longer the building it's the being Jesus it's no longer the place it's the person Jesus that is where the blessings are going to come from so leave the building alone it's a den of thieves come follow me and then as he gains followers you and I he calls us to be his priesthood if he's a temple and we come around him to worship, that makes us priests. We're people of him. And we're to go around now and to bring his temple to all the world. It's no longer about a place and a building. It's about a person and a being. It's about Jesus. And it's about his priests, you and I, going out and saying, this is the king that we worship. He didn't come and he's not ruling to oppress people. He's ruling to bless people. And so we go out. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we like the people in the temple? Are we robbing people of blessing? Or are we being the priests of Jesus and going out and extending his blessing to the world? Which are we doing? How do you know if we're robbing people of blessing? Two questions to ask yourself. First question. Are we a den Jesus said you're a den of robbers. Are we a den? What's a den? A den is the opposite of a temple. Temples were built on hills, right? They were built where people could see them. Everybody knew where the temple was. Uh, I went to Corinth years ago. I was totally blessed to go see so many cities. And all the temple ruins were always on the highest place of the city. Why? Everybody could see it. It was accessible. You knew where to go. But a den is not on the top of a hill. It's buried somewhere inside of a hill. It's like a cave. It's a hideout. And we have to ask ourselves, are we a den? Are we hiding out from the world? Do you and I come to church? Do we look at the church as a hideout? As, whoo, 
glad I'm out of the world. Let's, let's all sit here in our little den and have a party. Let's soak in all the blessings and stay away from all those losers. Are we a den? I failed to add this in earlier, so I'll add it here. Uh, in the Greek, the word robber can also mean a revolutionary or an insurrectionist. In other words, a rebel who fights against the government. When Jesus was crucified between two robbers, uh, scholars believe that they were actually insurrectionists who tried to take Rome down. They attacked somebody or something. They weren't like they stole something. They were... So Jesus is having this double meaning here. From Jeremiah, you guys are robbing people of blessing, but you guys are also using this place as a hub to hate other nations. You want to take them down. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we a den in that sense? Where we're collecting ourselves together and we're strategizing as they would in the temple how to take Rome down? We're strategizing how to take our opponents down. Well, gee, this movement in the politics is really taking off. How are we going to take them down? How are we going to fight against that? And I see often that the church, is it not? It's a rallying point. It's a den for us to figure out how to take people down. How to get our agenda to win. That's not a place of blessing. That's a den. And we're to be the light of the world. A city on a hill, Jesus said. Being the priests that don't hide out like robbers, but they go out with blessing. So are we a den? And second, are we robbers? In other words, are we taking or are we giving? Are we blessing or are we cursing? Does what we receive from Jesus ever reach other people or is it just for ourselves? I mean, if I gave JC a hundred bucks to go and purchase a massive pizza party for us and he pocketed the cash, would he be a robber or a blesser? (laughs) Obviously, JC just robbed me of a hundred bucks. The hundred bucks was to go bless tree of life. And this is what God does says as we meet and we gain salvation, we gain the blessings of Christ. When we withhold it from other people, we are robbing them of what God gave to us to give to others. That is being a robber. And we have to now ask, what, what does it look like to be a robber? It looks like this. It looks like selfishness. Somebody who would rather love himself than love his neighbor. Somebody who would rather stay comfortable than to... Be generous and sacrificial for another person. Being a robber looks like somebody who oppresses people. Who wants to be like Pontius Pilate. You rise up against me, I crush you. That's a robber. Or Jesus, you rise up against me, I'll turn the other cheek for you to hit that as well. Robbers look like people who want to rule over people, crush their enemies. Robbers are people who come to the house of God, who come to church to justify the way they're living out there. I'm not loving my neighbor, but I come and take communion and I love Jesus, so I'm good. You're using the house of God as a hideout and you're robbing people. Is it, is it consistent? Is it matching up? Why do you guys come here? Why do we come to church? Why do we busy ourselves with Bible study? It should be to equip us to be a blessing to the world so that wherever we go, we are extending the kingship of God through the way we live. Not ripping people off. So I'll leave you guys with this. 
We live in a world where people are ripped off every single day. It's a cursed earth. It's not the way it was meant to be. It's not the blessed Eden. People are ripped off every day. We're robbed from what God meant life to be. And so why should we go out and continue to rob people and to rip them off? Should we not be the ones that are going against the grain and against the tide? The ones that look different? The ones that look like the future earth God is going to bring? Not the present earth continuing to rip them off, but the future earth God is going to bring. The way God meant it to be. The ones who are looking like what the fixed world will look like. We're not expanding the curse of creation. We're reversing the curse and we're blessing people. We're bringing life in place of death, even at the cost of our own lives. That's what it looks like to be priests of the true temple, Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a house of prayer for all nations and not a den of robbers. So, if we are followers of Jesus, if you call yourself Christian, if you would be amongst those who followed him on that procession on Palm Sunday... If we are followers of Jesus, we cannot add to the oppression of the earth. But we rather must follow Jesus into blessing the earth. So he came as king not to oppress but to bless all people. And as his subjects and as his priests, we are to not oppress but to bless all people, including our enemies. As Jesus will then demonstrate on Good Friday. So guys, let us, tree of life, look, are we, de- are we a den? Are we robbers? And let us disband the den of robbers from our midst. People of blessing. Jesus, we pray for your rule to become a reality over us. That the blessings of your church and of your salvation and of your person will go through us to the rest of the world. Let us not rob. Let us not be guilty of those you threw out of the temple. But let us be your true priests, your true temple, extending your blessings and your forgiveness and your love and your restoration to all, everywhere that we are. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.